This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Welcome to the show once again. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. And uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, um, I am a family psychologist who doesn't believe in psychology. I am a renegade psychologist, a contrarian psychologist. I am the anti-psychologist. I go around the country and I speak from an insider's perspective concerning my uh, profession. Uh, And I tell people all over America that psychology has caused more problems for the American family, uh, the child, the mother, the father, the marriage, uh, uh, the school, the culture, than psychologists even know how to solve. Psychology has been a wrecking ball in American culture. And uh, there are excellent books on the subject of how uh, psychology Uh, has been so destructive and destructive within the church because its uh, bogus theories have infiltrated the church over the last 50 years uh, to the detriment of the church. As John MacArthur says, there is no such thing as a Christian psychologist. Those are two radically oppositional worldviews. And uh, uh, when you try to blend uh, psychological theory and uh, a biblical worldview, you do, the, you do so at the expense of a biblical worldview. You do so at the expense of God's Word. Um, so, uh, I'm also an author. I've written about 20 books on the raising of children and other related issues, um, including The Diseasing of America's Children, which is all about the bogus uh, diagnoses, completely bogus, of uh, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, auditory processing disorder, uh, sensory integration disorder, um, and um, bipolar disorder of childhood. And no, I do not mean that they are overdiagnosed. I mean that they do not exist. They are fictions. And um, uh, some people have a very difficult time, parents of children who have been um, the victims of these diagnoses, have a very, very difficult time accepting this because the parents uh, in question believe that if it's uh, the diagnosis is not valid uh, with all of its uh, attendant implications that the problems the behavior problems in question are due to genes and biochemical imbalances and brain differences and so on and so forth, that uh, uh, it must mean the only alternative is to accept that it's their fault. And actually, by accepting that your child's problems are largely your fault, you actually liberate yourself from the... uh, uh, victimhood of the mental health professions in America uh, who do nothing but seek to make victims of people 
and uh, you put yourself in a position to solve those uh, the problems in question. So anyway, that's me. I also write a nationally syndicated newspaper column. I am a very busy public speaker. I fly all over America nine months a year, generally coincident with the school year, talking to parent audiences and professional audiences all over the country. In upcoming weeks, uh, I will be speaking in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a church, in Atlanta, Georgia, at, uh, again, a church on behalf of Redeemer Day School in uh, Atlanta. Uh, Then my wife and I, who will be in Charlotte and Atlanta together, will drive to Orlando, where I'm speaking at the Florida Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. Why would I be speaking at the Florida Academy of Pediatric Dentistry? Because the biggest problem pediatric dentists are having is not with the teeth of children. It is with the behavior of children. And dare I say, the problem is caused by mothers who just can't let their children go back into the dental operatory by themselves, as my mother insisted that I do from the time I was about six years old on. And uh, the mother stands there, and uh, she begins to micromanage the dentist, telling him how to deal with her child. And um, uh, because codependency has become the norm in the mother-child relationship in America these days, uh, the, uh, the, the reciprocal nature of the mother's emotions and the child's emotions begin to very quickly spin out of control in the dental operatory. And uh, all uh, word deleted because this a Christian radio station uh, breaks loose. And uh, so dentists who, who just, uh, they're befuddled by this because this philosophy of bringing the parents back into the operatory, you know, being the family-friendly dentist, um, began in the early uh, 1990s, began in the 80s, actually, and uh, has grown since then. And uh, these doctors are uh, scared to death that if they don't allow the mother back into the operatory, the mother's going to take her business elsewhere. We're so what? Uh, I've talked to lots of dentists around the country who tell me they had it up to here with the mother's behavior in the operatory, and uh, children are not difficult to deal with if their mothers are not there. And uh, yeah, I'm talking to you. You know I'm talking to you, don't you? Uh, you're, you're squirming in your seats out there. <laughs> and I'm going to talk more about this on this program, as a matter of fact. It well deserves a lot of talk. And uh, have uh, established the policy of not allowing the mother back there. And they say their, their uh, income isn't hurt by this. Um, there are mothers who appreciate the fact they can drop off their children and leave and go run some errands. Um, so anyway, I'll be speaking in Orlando, Florida at the Family Academy of Pediatric Dentists. My wife will be with me again. We'll be staying at Disney World, but we won't be going in there. Uh, we only go in there if our grandchildren are with us and only after taking heavy medications. Just kidding. And then we're moving on to St. Augustine, Florida where I'll be speaking at St. John's Academy, which is a private school there, on Monday and Tuesday, October the 24th and 25th. And then I've got a little break, and then I'm going to Old Bridge, New Jersey, for three days, where I speak at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge. And I'll be doing 
quite a number of presentations there on Saturday the 5th, 6th, and 7th of November. You can go to my website, johnroseman.com, and learn more about all that. And then, lucky us, we'll be going to Aspen, Colorado, and speaking at Crossroads Church there on November the 13th and the 14th. And uh, that ought to be a lot of fun because we've got uh, two full days completely free in Aspen. Whoopee! So, um, let's talk about this codependency thing that has developed uh, in the mother-child relationship, and and not exclusively to the mother and child relationship, and it doesn't uh, characterize every mother and child relationship, Uh, but I would say that uh, a significant degree of codependency in the mother-child relationship characterizes probably 80% of a mother-child relationships and maybe as much as 90%. It is the uh, relatively rare mother who is not in a codependent relationship with her children these days. Um, you know, people my age, I'm 68, uh, I need to tell you that uh, those of you out there who are parents, who are raising children who are living at home, truly minor children. I'm not talking about millennials living at home, but which is another symptom, by the way, of codependency in the parent-child relationship, the, uh, the child who cannot emancipate. Um, but this is the kind of thing that people my age talk about when we get together. We talk about uh, you know, what we see going on in America's parenting culture. And uh, one of the things we see is this, and and the term is not always used, of course, but we see this codependency going on uh, in primarily the mother-child relationship. And here's what it involves. It involves um, a mother who is overly involved in every aspect of her children's lives. It started when they were infants, when she started making play dates for them when they were six months of age. And... Uh, Continues from there, uh, she attends all of their activities, she attends their practices, she attends their piano lessons, um, she goes to all of their appointments with them, um, even up through their teenage years. And uh, the bottom line is that codependency is a, a state of relationship in which there is no physical or emotional boundary between the two individuals in question, in this case, mother and child, no physical boundary. The mother is afraid to establish a physical boundary to tell her child to simply get away from her. Uh, He doesn't need to be around her. He's underfoot. He's not welcome in the room that she's in because she thinks this is going to induce uh, some psychological trauma. And uh, so she allows the child to bother her constantly, interrupt her constantly, which which she complains about, but does not realize that it's her fault, that she has never told this child clearly, uh, you know, she may have yelled it, which isn't clear at all, that he is not welcome in the room that she is in. And then there is emotional codependency, and that involves a lack of emotional boundary, which means that whatever the child feels, the mother feels as well. The child uh, is upset, the mother is upset. 
the child feels uh, hurt, the mother feels hurt. Um, there is this state of emotional symbiosis going on, and this is epidemic in America's parenting culture today, and I'm going to talk more about it after the break. This is because I said so, carried exclusively on American Family Radio every Saturday at 5 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Eastern. Please stay with us, folks. Back with more of this provocative stuff in just a few. Welcome back to the show, or if you're just joining us, thanks for joining us. The show is called Because I Said So. It's all about parenting. That's what we call it in America today, parenting. And uh, I'm your host, uh, John Rosemond. And you can find out uh, more about me, not all about me, but more about me on my website at John Rosemond, R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D, but it's actually just kind of slurred, rosemond.com. Uh, so on this program, we are talking about the epidemic level of codependency that exists in the mother-child relationship in America today. This codependency is defined by a lack of boundary between mother and child, a lack of either uh, operative physical boundary and also a lack of emotional boundary. So the lack of physical boundary means the mother is overly involved in every aspect of the child's life. Uh, he is her idol. She believes that uh, he cannot get along without her, telling him what to do, helping him, guiding him, so on and so forth, and uh, that she is essential to his feeling of well-being as well, which leads us into the issue of the lack of emotional boundary between mother and child, which is defined by, operationally, what the child feels, the mother feels. There is no difference there. It's called emotional symbiosis. And uh, so if the child fails, the mother feels that she has failed. If the child is upset, the mother is upset. Um, if the child feels uh, that he's been mistreated, the mother identifies with that feeling uh, and conjures up great umbrage and even becomes enraged at anyone who is perceived at having not treated her child in the way that uh, he or she deserves to be treated, which is, of course, like a European or a Middle Eastern potentate or something. And all of this came up in my mind because my daughter, who works for us, she is our administrative assistant. She handles a lot of stuff for us, uh, my wife and myself, here at the Leadership Parenting Institute in New Bern, North Carolina, mentioned to me a couple of days ago that October is Bullying Prevention Month and suggested that maybe I might want to write a newspaper column or do a radio show or both on Bullying Prevention Month, that it was a timely issue. And uh, so I went online and looked at uh, the website for Bullying Prevention Month, 
So I began thinking about the relationship between the codependency, the ubiquitous, pervasive codependency that exists in the uh, American mother, American child relationship and bullying. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, you know, this is uh, this is kind of interesting stuff worth sharing with my radio audience. I am eminently qualified to talk about the subject of bullying for two reasons. Number one, I was bullied relentlessly as a youngster. Uh, it began in the fifth grade with George. George would run me down. I mean, whenever he would see me, uh, he would uh, run me down, wrestle me to the ground, pin my arms uh, to my sides with his knees, and begin to tickle me. Uh, I'm very ticklish. Being tickled for me is funny for about, I don't know, two, maybe three seconds, upon which it becomes excruciating, agonizing. Being tickled is like the worst thing that can happen to me in my life. Uh, Forget about waterboarding. Uh, We should simply tickle non-uniformed enemy combatants. Uh, I guarantee you they would tell us everything and more. And what could the PC crowd say about that? You know, we're, we're tickling information out of people. So anyway, that was uh, the bullying. I, I mean, this happened like twice a month uh, with George. I, I did everything I could to avoid him. Finally, George, not because of anything he did to me, he was just a bad guy. Was this this was the suburbs of Chicago, folks? I mean, it was a blue collar suburb, and I want to tell you, it, it was one pathological place, Westchester, Illinois. George was finally sent to reform school, and I thought my uh, days of being bullied were over. But very quickly, Danny took his place. Danny's specialty was the sucker punch. He would uh, run up behind me tap me on the shoulder, and I would turn around, and he would punch me as hard as he could in the stomach. And, uh, uh, you know, I would uh, double over and retch and uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was just awful. So how did I deal with this? I dealt with this by uh, uh, staying at school, after school, as long as I could, um, and then sneaking home through backyards And if that didn't work, if I was spotted by either George or Danny, I ran. I guarantee you Forrest Gump had nothing on me. So the second qualification that uh, brings me to the subject of bullying is that I am apparently a bully. A uh, 23-year-old young woman recently told me so. Uh... Uh, she was having dinner with uh, my wife and myself and her parents, and we were having a very polite dinner, and uh, we were having conversation, and she started talking about something, I don't know, global warming, something millennials, you know, one of the millennial idols. And um, very politely, uh, I disagreed um, you know, and I am a very diplomatic person. It, it doesn't come across that way on a radio show because uh, there is a certain ambiance to a radio show that uh, 
that you must always keep in mind. And uh, so on a radio show, sometimes people come across as a little bit too direct, too straightforward, et cetera, et cetera, maybe even grating. But believe me, uh, when I am face-to-face with a person, and especially a 23-year-old young lady, I'm very polite, very gracious, so I politely, graciously uh, disagreed uh, with uh, one of her stated ill-informed opinions, and I shared several pertinent and verifiable facts with her, upon which she looked at me with this pout and said, you're a bully. And I, I was just shocked. I mean, what? I'm a bully. I'm a bully for having a different opinion than you and having the temerity to actually express, exercise my constitutional freedom of speech and express my difference of opinion with you. You are 23 years old, and all I'm trying to do here is, you know, help you by furthering your uh, informal education. Uh, her parents, I looked at her parents, and they were just uh, sort of looking down at their plates, saying nothing. So anyway, I was bullied, and I am, I am told, a bully. So the head of a private day school uh, recently told me, he said, John, this bullying thing has gotten completely out of hand. And he went on to describe enraged parents, overwhelmingly mothers, storming into his office to complain that their children are being bullied. And then he described incidents, representative incidents, that anyone possessing of a fair degree of objectivity would call harmless pranks the sorts of practical jokes that children, especially boys, are known for. Uh, one of these was a boy poured some Chex Mix down the back of another boy. He came up behind him, pulled his shirt collar out, poured a little Chex Mix down there. You know, giggle, giggle, funny, funny. Uh, the boy, the victim, began shrieking and crying and dancing around like he was being, uh, you know, attacked by demons in the back of his shirt um, and went home and told his mother and his mother storms into the school and demands that the checks mix bandit be expelled. This is the kind of thing that's going on. There is genuine bullying folks. And then there are parents who are in deep states of codependency with their children by definition, as I said, no emotional boundary exists between the parents in question and their kids, what their children feel they feel, and under those circumstances, the emotional dynamic resonating between parent and child spins out of control. Children are drama factories to begin with. They have the innate ability to make an emotional molehill into a Category 5 hurricane. One of our responsibilities as adults is to help Children put the everyday slings and arrows of life into proper perspective. When a parent not only fails to do that, but also begins to participate sympathetically in a child's emotional experience, the result is emotional chaos. On the website of the National Bullying Prevention Center, bullying is defined as behavior that harms another person physically or emotionally. The definition is problematic because it depends to great degree on the subjective judgment of the self-identified victim. Is bullying strictly in the eye of the beholder? 
This messiness is the consequence of a culture that has dumbed down the definition of bullying to the point where school officials often cannot differentiate truth from hysteria. And so they give little more than lip service to complaints of bullying while pointing proudly to their bullying prevention programs. In other words, to avoid giving legitimacy to parent-child codependency, schools often end up enabling bullies. A mess for sure. And sadly, it will still be a mess after October. Again, the show is called Because I Said So. I'm your host, John Roseman, johnroseman.com. The program is carried every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. My thanks to Tim Wildman and all the folks there. Thanks for joining us, folks, and I hope you join us next time. Next time.